What is up, everyone? It's the Raw Prospect Podcast. We are back for episode 62. Uh, today is March 27th, I believe. Oh, man. Oh, it, what a 26. Oh, 26. Yeah. Um, and joining me, as always, the stat king himself, Michael Wing. What is up, man? What is up? We are back. Uh, welcome back to the Raw Prospect Podcast, episode 62. We have an absolutely packed show today. Um, we're going to start by doing our Sweet 16 bracket, starting with the Sweet 16 predictions and going all the way through to the national championship. Then we are going to talk about um, the deals that went down at the NBA trade deadline. Very busy day yesterday. And then we'll finish up with our first mock draft of the draft season. We're kicking off our NFL draft season coverage with a mock draft, a shortened mock draft with just the top 10 as um, some trades went down today that sort of altered the draft order in a very important and interesting um, way. So we'll get into that at the very end. But with that, we have a lot to do. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. Right. And uh, th- we're going to make a, a change to the formatting for this episode since it's going to be such a long episode. We're going to um, take breaks in between segments. So we're going to cut it up. Um, each segment is going to have its own video on YouTube for so that uh, you guys can cherry pick the topics that you actually want to w- listen to. You don't have to listen to the whole te- thing. Um, obviously, you still can listen to the whole thing. We're going to still... Um, uh, release the full episode as well, but um, that's a new thing that we're going to do. And uh, one thing is just let us know if you like that uh, format. We can keep doing this for every episode, even uh, for the shorter ones, um, if that's what y'all prefer. But um, like Michael said, we have a lot to get into, so let's do it. Um, let's do this uh, Sweet 16 bracket stuff. Um, me and Michael so, both made brackets. So what we're just going to be doing is we're just going to break down each game from the Sweet 16, and then um, we'll, we'll cover briefly uh, what will happen, what we think will happen in uh, the following rounds see, uh, and pick who will be our national champion. Um, so, uh, Michael, if you want to go first, just go right ahead. Yeah, so uh, before we get into this real quick, I encourage you all to go back and listen to our episode, which we recorded on Wednesday night. This is being recorded on Friday night and will be released likely on Sunday sometime. Um, I encourage you all to go back and listen to episode 61 so you can get a recap of what happened last weekend during the first weekend of the NCAA tournament in March Madness. We recap sort of of like the winners and losers. Um, so if you're not familiar um, with what's gone on so far, uh, then go back and listen to that. But we'll start our predictions in the top left region of the bracket, the West region. Um, I guess I'll go through um, both games and then I'll let you go through both games. Um, the first game is the Gonzaga Bulldogs, the number one overall seed facing off against the number five seed, Creighton Blue Jays. Um, I have Gonzaga advancing, probably winning by double digits. 
Um, if you don't know already, um, they've been the best team in the country from start to finish. Uh, they rank first in offensive efficiency with a rating of 126.4. And they're also first in effective field goal percentage. They're efficient. They don't turn the ball over. They have four or five very elite scores. Jalen Suggs is playing great lately, the five-star recruit, their highest rated recruit in program history. Um, and then you, you go along with uh, Corey Kispert, arguably the best shooter in the country. Joel Ajayi, a versatile defender on the wing. Um, this team just has Drew Timmy on the inside. I believe he had like 30 and 13 in the matchup against OU. He was the player and MVP of that game. Um, they just have too many weapons. And I can't see a way, barring an injury or a COVID case, that they lose this game. Um, and then maybe my favorite matchup of this weekend, um, it will be the other matchup in the West, which is a Pac-12 showdown between the USC Trojans and the Oregon Ducks. Um, if you don't know already, USC totally dismantled Kansas. I picked them to beat Kansas, but not in that way. Um, they just totally, absolutely destroyed them in every way, shape, and fashion. Um, I'm going with USC to advance here. Um, I just think that the forwards on the inside and Isaiah Mobley and Evan Mobley, their brothers, um, will cause problems for an undersized Oregon Ducks team on the interior. And uh, I just like um, USC's chances, given that they did beat Oregon in their last matchup without Isaiah Mobley, um, who's a big, who can stretch the floor and knock down threes, which we saw an abundance of in that matchup against Kansas. I think they'll continue to shoot well. I think they have more interior defense. And I like the Trojans um, to move on to face Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. So those are my um, Sweet 16 predictions for the West region, but I want to get your thoughts now on both right. games. So um, Gonzaga and Creighton, I, I did have Gonzaga advancing as well. Um, they are clearly, as you said, the front runners and they, and I think they drew, uh, they got a good draw for uh, the teams that they have coming up on their bracket. I think um, that's a, a good luck for them yeah, very good as draw. well. Um, but uh, Gonzaga moving on. I, I think it's a bit of a no brainer, but um, you never know. It's March Madness. It's one game. Anything could happen, but Gonzaga's talent is just, um, it's just a step above Creighton's to put it simply. Um, and then USC and Oregon, this was a much tougher game to pick actually, but I did go with USC as well. Um, Evan Mobley has been really impressive. And I went back and watched that game. Um, from last weekend, he looks incredible. Um, I mean, this team, they play well as a group. And I think their chemistry is really well. They're cohesive and they, and they fly around defensively. Um, so I think that just bodes well to um, winning. But uh, with that, all that being said, these teams know each other. So I think no matter what, this is going to be a barn burner. I think this is going to be one of the best games of the weekend. Definitely. Um, so um, I guess we'll move on to our East picks. 
Yes, let's move down to the lower left region of the bracket, the east region. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start us off. Um, we have the number one seed Michigan Wolverines facing up against the number four seed Florida State Seminoles, who if you guys don't know, and I believe I mentioned this last podcast, I originally had Florida State advancing all the way to the final four. So I'm very high on Florida State. Um, I am picking them to beat Michigan, but in a close game, um, I believe I need to stick to my guns on this. Um, they, first of all, they're first in the country in average height. So they're going to have no problem whatsoever at matching up with Hunter Dickinson on the interior. Um, they've always been long and athletic, good on the defensive end. Leonard Hamilton's an exceptional coach. Um, he's on that Hall of Fame trajectory and he'll get in sometime soon. Um, and they're also very good three-point shooting team. Michigan's also sound defensively, but I believe that Scotty Barnes, MJ Walker, those exceptional two-way wing players on the outside will make some shots. It'll be close until the end, um, but I believe that Florida State is going to neutralize Hunter Dickinson in a way that he really hasn't been neutralized to this point in the tournament. And I think Florida State will find a way to pull this out. Um, and then the 11 seed UCLA Bruins and the number two Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, it's been a really good run for UCLA and Mick Cronin um, to this point. Um, remember, they were a first four team. Um, they beat Michigan State and then won their last two games to get here. Um, pretty incredible. But they haven't really been tested yet. Um, against a team like Alabama, as good as Alabama. Um, I think Alabama um, will play to its strengths, which is shoot a ton of threes, make a ton of threes, and then play relentless and tenacious defense. I don't think UCLA has seen a defense like this yet that's as tenacious and relentless and as athletic as Alabama. Nate Oates, the, the Crimson Tides coach, has done an exceptional job and could be in the running for the Texas head coach opening, but that's another story for another day. Um, so, yeah, I just think Alabama is um, probably the best team UCLA has seen so far. Um, and I think they'll eventually run, run away with this game in the second half. Um, they're third in the country in defensive rating. So it's going to be really tough for UCLA to match their athleticism on the wing and also to score on this defense if they're not just uh, making their threes. Um, if they don't you know, get hot from three, I, th I find it to be really difficult for UCLA, but they've had a great run. Um, I think Alabama will advance though. So I have, um, to recap on this side of the bracket, I have Gonzaga, USC, Florida State, and Alabama all advancing to the Elite Eight. Okay, um, my uh, my pick for Michigan and Florida State is just going to depend on one thing: the rebounding battle. Um, as you said, Florida State is a really tall team, um, highest average height in the nation, as you said. Um, but one thing that they prey on teams with is their offensive rebounding. So if Michigan can keep them off the offensive boards, I think they're going to have a good shot. I think. Whoever wins the rebounding battle is going to win this game. I'm going to pick Michigan. 
Um, but um, this was the hardest game to pick for me out of the uh, Sweet 16 games. I, I really think this might be overtime. This might be uh, just a coin flip. I really do. These are two elite teams. Like these are probably if I were just to rank the teams left, these are probably in the top four, I'd say. Um, so that's a really good game there. Yeah. I'd say if you're going to pay attention to any game this weekend, this is the one right here. Definitely take a look at that game. Um, and then for Alabama and UCLA, um, as you said, Alabama, they shoot a ton of threes. Um, they get on transition. They play great defense. Um, but one thing that's underrated about them is they only have a couple players shooting over 70% from the line. And that might come back to bite them if uh, if that ends up being a close game. But I'm going to pick Alabama, uh, not Alabama, Alabama, nonetheless. I, I think they're the better team. And as you said, UCLA hasn't faced a defense to this caliber. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if um, UCLA wins because – a team like Alabama who shoots a ton of threes, bad shooting nights happen and all it takes is one game for it to all crumble. So uh, Alabama better bring it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so for me, I have uh, Gonzaga and USC and, and Michigan and Alabama advancing in the bottom of my bracket or the left side of my bracket. Okay. Let's move up to the top right region. Um, starting with the South. Um, in the South, you have one seed Baylor um, going up against five seed Villanova. And you have three seed Arkansas going up against 15 seed Cinderella Story. Um, best of the tournament so far, um, the Oral Roberts Golden Eagles. <laughs> um, so um, as far as Baylor and Villanova goes, I'm picking Baylor. Um, and the simple reason is, um, one, um, they're looking like the team they, they were um, before they went on that big COVID pause. Um, they're looking like the team they were early in the season. Um, they rank first in the country in three-point field goal percentage. Um, they have those three elite guards, as we know, and Davy and Mitchell, Macy O.T., and, and um, gosh – his name just left my brain. It'll Butler, come back right? To me. Uh, um, Butler. Third in the country in effective field goal. Yeah, Jared yeah. Butler. Jared Butler, right. Um, they're third in the country in effective field goal percentage, and they're sixth in offensive rebound percentage. Um, I do think that, um, well, as we've seen, Baylor can be exposed, and where they can be exposed is on the interior. They like to play small with Mark Vidal on the inside. It's kind of like that small center type um, player. And when they want to go big, they bring in Jonathan Chamu Chachua, who's like 6'8", 6'9". Um, but where Baylor's been exposed is on the interior. They play Kansas, um, David McCormick and his side, in his size, excuse me. Um, they were able to get it inside, pound it inside and score on the interior. Same thing with Oklahoma State. You look at a guy like Keelan Boone, long, lengthy, on the interior, 
um, skill post score. Um, those are those were the teams that beat Baylor, and they were able to expose Baylor when they went to those small ball lineups. So I don't think um, Villanova is capable of doing that. Um, their best player, um, as we know, is missing um, in Colin Gillespie. They don't have a point guard right now, and that's not a good thing when you're going up against a team like Baylor, who's extremely good and versatile defensively. Um, you need someone to be able to initiate the offense and Villanova really doesn't have that right now. And their second best player, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, um, he's, he's talented on the, on the interior, but he's more of a finesse scorer and he's not really a, a power guy like the David McCormick's of the world. Um, I don't really believe he's enough to get it done. So um, you never know with Villanova. Um, Jay Wright's never lost when he's gone past the first weekend of the tournament. Um, he's undefeated. Um, he's a Hall of Fame caliber coach. So you, you can't really count Villanova out. And who knows, an injury can happen. Things happen. But Baylor's been the second best team in the country pretty much all season. And that, that will continue um, in this game. And then Arkansas... I think will end, um, sadly for some people, this incredible Cinderella run of the Oral Roberts Golden Eagles. Um, if you look at Oral Roberts, um, they're led by their point guard, uh, Max Aidness, I believe is how you say it, or something like that. And their dominant forward in Kevin O'Banner. Um, those two players, and this is incredible, have accounted for 72.4% of those teams of that team's points so far in the tournament. Um, so almost three quarters of their points coming from two players. I think Arkansas is athletic enough, versatile enough defensively um, to come up with a plan to stop the pick and pop action between the two players. That's been so effective to this point in the tournament. And they played earlier this season um, and Arkansas won. I don't believe it will be any different this time around. Um, Eric Musselman's a very, very good coach, um, underrated as such, I believe. And I believe given a couple days to come up with the game plan, now that, he, now that we've seen Oral Roberts in two games, um, he'll come up with the plan and they'll stifle those two players and they'll run away with this game. Uh, but incredible run. Um, for Oral Roberts, either way, you can't really take anything away from them. Beating Ohio State and then Florida, um, one very good team and another another really good team. Um, so unless um, Oral Roberts is able to continue that um, just incredible shooting um, from the perimeter that they've had up until this point in the tournament, I don't see a way they can win this game. Um, but... I'd like to see what you think. Um, well, you know, it's funny because I actually picked Oral Roberts, but I think you you convinced me otherwise. I think you actually swayed me the other direction. Um, my thought process was um, Oral Roberts has one of the fastest paces in all of college basketball. They push the pace and they just attack, attack, attack. Um, they also have the leading scorer in the country, um, for the entire season, um, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but um, 
Uh, either way, I, I changed my pick. I'm going to pick Arkansas for that game um, for all the reasons you just said. I think I underrated um, how good defensively Arkansas is. I saw the first-round game where they uh, – I forgot who they played. I think they played Colgate, and they were down like eight or ten like late yeah. in the second half, and they were on the ropes. So that made me kind of hesitate a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. But I think since then they've been extremely efficient. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Oral Roberts won. So um, that's going to be a really interesting game. I, I I don't think people should count out Oral Roberts, as crazy as that sounds. But for the other game, um, I did pick Baylor. Yeah. But I – oh, go ahead. I'll go ahead and say what you wanted to say there. Hello? Oh, I was just going to say, I won't be surprised if anything happens. I will be some surprised if uh, Gonzaga loses before the Final Four, but um, I won't be surprised if anything else happens, as you were saying. But go ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, Um, so Baylor, I did pick them to advance, but – uh, I also hesitated with this one as well. Um, Villanova, to put it simply, a lot of people counted them out. As soon as Colin Gillespie went down and they lost in the Big East tournament pretty early, everybody just went, oh, geez, Villanova, they're in the doghouse. But here they are again in the Sweet 16. And that, that just shows how good the rest of this team is and how good of a coach Jay Wright is. And uh, as we talked about plenty of times on – this podcast uh coaching is everything in college basketball um if you like you can have all the talent in the world but if if it's not coached to put the players in the right spots to be successful then it doesn't mean anything um but i am going to pick baylor i i might look back on this and regret it if villanova wins because i'm literally i'm i literally just made a case for villanova winning but I'm still going to pick Baylor. I I still feel pretty confident in that because of what they their their entire body of work has been. But like I said earlier, it only takes one game. Um, and you identified that they're very small in on inside. So I, I um, I'm interested to see how they attack that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the coaching matchup is is um more interesting um i guess more than any other in in any other game um with scott drew who's a very good coach or is becoming a very good coach and uh jay wright who is already a hall of fame caliber coach so um the coach if the game is closely um i think it'll be more it'll come down to um coaching decisions um and that could play a big role if it's close um so the midwest this is the i guess the i call this the upset filled region i guess um you have loyola chicago who's an eight seed but plays like a three seed um and oregon state facing off and then you have uh syracuse who oh my god it just seems like people count out Syracuse like right before the conference tournament starts. 
and then they get into the tournament as like a bubble team and they just go nuts. Um, and then you have Houston, the two seed. So at, for my predictions in this region, um, I have Loyola of Chicago and Sister Jean advancing past Oregon State. Oregon State, great run to this point. We mentioned, we talked extensively about it in the last podcast. Um, but Loyola Chicago, as you have said, um, time and time again, are fantastic elite defensive team. And they take care of the ball. Um, and they play through their star and six nine four Cameron Crutwig, who doesn't look the part, but he plays. He plays. I mean, he's he's involved in every way, shape, and form. Um, he's involved on the defensive end. He's a talented post scorer. I mean, he's he's the leader of the team. They play through him, and he's one of the two players that's actually carried over from that. Um, last final 14 that they had in 2018. So he's experienced. He's been in these situations before. Um, I love Porter Moser as a coach. Um, and I just think Loyola is too good defensively um, and in too much of a rhythm offensively and as a basketball team to, to lose this game. Um, so I've them advancing. And uh, Syracuse and Houston, this is an interesting one. This is probably my second most interesting game of the weekend behind Florida State and Michigan. Um, but I might just be saying that. Um, I'm picking Houston, although I won't be surprised one bit if Syracuse wins. Um, you talk about Jim Beheim, a Hall of Fame coach, and Buddy Beheim. Um, who's averaging like 28 on incredible shooting in his last four or five games. Um, they're just incredibly tough to stop. They can stretch the floor. And that 2-3 zone, um, if you've never played against it before, is it can be tough for teams to figure out if they're unfamiliar with it. So Syracuse has those things working for them. But I think Houston is – they're they're very good um i know people sometimes worry about their offense it's been stagnant at times in this tournament and they had to come back um they had an incredible comeback um against uh who was it i'm forgetting but they had that incredible comeback um they have they're incredible defensively um, they're 11th in defensive efficiency, and they're actually really good at stopping what Syracuse is really good at, which is three-point shooting. Um, they rank 12th in three-point field goal percentage defense, holding opponents to 28% from the outside. Um, I just think – I don't know why. I, just, I think that comeback in the last round is going gonna, is gonna to spark them a little bit. It will give them a wake-up call, but it's also, I think, going to spark a little bit of a run. For this Houston team, this is the most hype Houston team since the um, what do they call it? Um, those teams back in like the yeah, 80s. I know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm um, what is it? I'm called? forgetting, but uh, maybe it, maybe I'll look it up um, here in a second. But I think yeah, I just think Houston. Oh, they had the transfer from Kansas from last year. Uh, it's Phi Slamma Jamma, I think. Something like that. It, yes. This is the most, most, yeah, most high team since that era. 
Um, I think, as I was saying, they're going to get a spark, a wake-up call, whatever you want to call it. Um, Syracuse will keep it close because of their ability to shoot and their defense. I just think Houston has more um, more talent, um, a little bit more talent, especially on the interior. And uh, I think that defense will eventually show its teeth um, and they'll advance to play Loyola, which will be a really interesting matchup in the Elite Eight uh, between two very, very good defensive-minded teams um, with defensive-minded coaches. So I have Loyola and Houston going to the Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, so for me, I uh, uh, obviously for Loyola, Chicago and Oregon State, I picked Loyola, Chicago to move on. Um, if you've been listening these last couple of weeks, y'all know that I'm very high on Loyola, Chicago. Um, and I think they continue their run. Obviously, Oregon State, they had a great run uh, through the tournament and they got hot at the right time. Um, so if they continue to shoot as well as they have been I mean great offense beats beats great defense but I just think loyal Chicago their style of defense specifically is just relentless they are everywhere um if they if you uh go back and watch what they did to look to Illinois um every pick and roll that they ran it was just every Loyola Chicago defender was just swarming and it, it was just turnover after turnover, turnover. I can't talk today. Um, but uh, I think that will continue. And uh, that style of defense wins in the tournament. There's, there's no doubt about it, especially within as efficient of an offense as Loyola Chicago has. Um, so before I completely lose my voice, I'm just going to move on. Cause I clearly, I can't talk about Loyola Chicago. <laughs> um, so Houston and Syracuse, um, I did pick Houston to move on. This was a tough game to pick. Um, I, I really haven't seen Houston play at all. Um, so it was, that made it even tougher. I saw the Syracuse games um, from the first couple of weekends, um, but I, I wasn't able to watch Houston at all. So um, this, this will be a really interesting game for me to see what Houston, um, what Houston is made of because Syracuse is going to test them. I know for, I know that for a fact. That no matter what, I feel like this is going to be a for sure a close game. Um, so a really good slate of games for the tournament yeah. here. We got a nice mix of Cinderella teams and just powerhouses, which is just a, this is just really good. You want a mix of that. So now we finished up our Sweet 16 analysis and our predictions. For all the games, let's briefly touch on um, the rounds all the way through to the championship and what our brackets look like in each region. So for right. me, I have um, in the West, I have Gonzaga beating USC. Um, and in the East, I have Alabama actually advancing past Florida State. Um, but what do you have? in those two regions? Um, I have um, Gonzaga advancing against USC as well. Um, and then, of course, I have Michigan and Alabama, but I have um, 
I have Michigan advancing past Alabama. Um, that was really just uh, – that was another okay. coin flip. I'm not going to really get into analysis there because that game might not even happen. So, um, so that would make it to where Gonzaga and Michigan play in the Final Four, the two one seeds. And then for you, that would be Gonzaga and Florida State. Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Gonzaga oh, you picked Alabama. Alabama. My bad. Actually, yep. I'm oh, actually uh, – I'm pretty confident in Alabama now. I've seen them play a couple times, and I just like what they present defensively. Um, and I think they're athletic enough. Um, they make enough shots on the perimeter. I just like uh, the way they're playing right now, and I really like their coach. Uh, not that I don't like Florida State, but, um, yeah, I just think Alabama – caught fire um in the south i have baylor advancing to the final four over arkansas and i have loyola chicago beating houston um to advance to face baylor so i have my final four at this moment is one seed gonzaga um, two seed alabama one seed baylor and eight seed but really like a three seed, Loyola Chicago. Okay. Um, so for me, I have uh, Baylor beating Arkansas. Um, and then I have on the other side of the bracket, I also have Loyola Chicago beating Houston. So we have the same uh, picks there. Um, so for the final four, for me, that would be Baylor and Loyola Chicago and Gonzaga and Michigan. Um, so I guess I'll go ahead and pick those. Um, so I'm going to pick – this is tough. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick Loyola Chicago to beat Baylor, as, as crazy wow. as that sounds. I, I really am just super high on this Loyola Chicago team. And as you mentioned, um, they have that big inside. Uh, Kronig, I believe is his name. Um, I think he can control the game in a different way from what uh, from the bigs that Baylor has seen. Um, and I think that will be the difference in the game because both teams will play amazing defense. I think it will be a low scoring game, but I think if Crony can control the game, I think uh, Loyal Chicago's defense will do enough to neutralize the uh, firepower um, in, in the backcourt for Baylor. So I think Royal Chicago will advance on that side. And then I have Gonzaga con- advancing on the other side. So that would be Gonzaga and Royal Chicago, where I have Gonzaga winning it all and cutting down the nets. Okay. I have um, – so I have Gonzaga beating Alabama, obviously – just think they're too good. Mm-hmm. And I have Baylor beating Loyola Chicago. But part of that is Big 12 bias. And I um, I just think Baylor, I think we've been destined for this since the since the start of college basketball season, despite all the madness and everything that could happen between now and the Final Four with health and all that. I think these two teams have been the best start to finish. I just think we're destined for a showdown uh, between – 
Mark Few and Scott Drew. Uh, <laughs> they rhyme sort of. <laughs> yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> and think about that. I mean, you'd have between both starting lineups, you'd have, I mean, five like NBA level talents on each side. I mean, I'm not kidding. Um, it, I think it'd be a great game, but I have Gonzaga winning um, 84 to 77. I actually picked the score because I'm doing the um, ESPN bracket second chance. So I had to put in a score. And, yeah, I had uh, the score at uh... 89 to 88 because I just I just put something random in but I I, I wasn't going to say it on the pod because I don't, I don't even I look looking yeah, back it, on it I don't think it'll we'll, be that high but we'll do probably next week um we, we're gonna we're gonna get into more draft stuff next week and um obviously we have some baseball stuff we have to do but I think we'll probably do a final four preview if I had to guess mm-hmm. um but we don't know yet, um, but that's going to do it for this segment. We both have Gonzaga winning the championship. I think that's – those are two <laughs> very good, confident picks. Um, but, yeah, those are – that's our Sweet 16 bracket predictions. Right, and if you're so, watching the video on this, please hit the subscribe button. If you haven't already, drop a like on the video, share it with your friends, and uh, – If you're listening to the full podcast, we'll see you on the other side. All right, we are back. Welcome, everyone. Um, Whether you're listening to this as the full podcast, um, and if you're listening to this as its own video, welcome. Um, This is going to be a new thing we're doing on the show. We announced it on the full episode. If you are, you probably already heard it if you listen to the full episode, but we're going to chop this show up into its own segments and this segment will be as you read in the title the nba trade deadline uh analysis uh segment so um without further ado um let's just get right into it we have a lot of really amazing uh trades to cover this was a great deadline it was um the first deadline i want to get into is the miami heat um, trade for Victor Oladipo. Um, so let's start with that. Um, let's get your thoughts first. On, so first, I'll, I'll, I'll give everyone the trade details, and then I'll let you speak on it, and then I'll give you my thoughts. Um, so the Heat get Victor Oladipo from the Rockets, and in return, the Rockets get Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek, and uh, 2022 first, first round pick swap. I think that's what yes. it says here. Yeah. Right to swap. Um, yes. So I'll let you give your thoughts on both sides and then I'll give some of my thoughts. Well, um, I'll, I'll start out with the heat here. Um, getting Victor Oladipo. Um, this is a high upside uh, uh, get for them. I mean, obviously Victor Oladipo, as we know, um, is capable of being one of the best shooting guards in the entire league. Um, but uh with that being said we don't we still don't know uh if he can get back to that level he played solid in Houston but obviously he's not going to get as many touches in Miami uh with the guards they already have in there in that system um so um it'll be interesting to see how efficient he can be with a little bit less touches um but 
overall, this is a really good move for Miami. I think um, with the position they were in, they wanted to add more punch. Um, and Oladipo can definitely still provide that, whether you believe he's as good as he is, uh, uh, as good as he was before the injury is um, a topic of discussion for sure. But uh, even if he isn't, uh, he's still a very solid player. Um, and then for the Rockets, a lot of people were really just tearing into the Rockets for this trade. Like they got fleece. They got, they got nothing for Oladipo. They got, uh, they got absolutely nothing. And for me, um, I think just, this just shows how, um, how like hesitant these teams were towards Victor Oladipo. I think there was a lot of hesitation towards him, uh, given that uh, in his time in Houston, sure, he, he put up 20 points and he was pretty good, but he only had like three dunks the whole time he was there, which is very un-Victor Oladipo-like. He's a, he's a guy who thrives on attacking the basket and just um, using his athleticism to just dominate the game. Um, so um, with all the hesitation uh, from these teams, I think this is probably the best offer they could have gotten. Um, I think the other option would have been to just keep him and then just lose him. Um, so it is what it is. If you're Houston, you gotta, you gotta pick and, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta get whatever you can get. And I mean, with the situation they were in, um, I think it's okay. Yeah, I really, I really, really like this trade for the Miami Heat. Um, from a Miami Heat perspective, they get Victor Oladipo. Now, he had a severe injury, um, a quadriceps tendon rupture, I believe, that sidelined him for over a year. And he's had a disjointed return with COVID and everything. And it's really difficult for people don't, that don't watch a ton of NBA or a ton of his games to know what he is at this point because he hasn't played a whole lot. Um, he's played just 48 games in the 14 months since his return. That's, that's barely over half a season. So it's really hard to know um, what his game is at this point. But it's worth noting that the last time he was fully healthy um, up until this point, um, he did win the Most Improved Player Award. Um, in the 2017-2018 season, and he was voted to the All-NBA third team. Um, so two very prestigious honors right there. And we know that he can be a very good player um, when he's healthy because we've seen flashes of it. Um, that season was the only season, though, where he had a true shooting percentage. And I know this is getting to sort of more advanced analytics. And if you're not into that, fine. But it was the only season where he had a true shooting percentage better than league average. Um, but I think that that's a, that comes with the fact that he's sort of a, he's a volume scorer. So he has the ball in his hands a lot and he, he takes a lot of shots, high shot volume. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into that, but it's just a fact. Um, um, so yeah, ever since then, ever since that season, he's been a, um, volume score, as I said, and his true shooting percentage is about 10% worse than league average. 
It's just just some statistics um, on ESPN. Um, I think this does improve um, the Miami Heat team, um, given that they didn't have to give much at much up at all in order to get them. Um, now there were the Kyle Lowry rumors to Miami, but obviously Masai Ujiri, um, a top five general manager in the league, decided to hold on to him. Um, didn't really get an offer that, um, I guess, pushed him to trade Lowry. So the next best option, I guess, for Miami was to get Oladipo. And if you look at their team, um, they're going to get Oladipo. They have Jimmy Butler, and they have Bam Adebayo on the inside. That's a really good trio right there. Um, they upgraded on the offense, offensive side of the ball for sure, um, given that they get a volume score. And I think uh, I think it's going to work out because they're I believe they're the front runners to sign a big man in the buyout market, and I think the front runner is uh, Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, they're the front runner to sign him as he was just bought out by the San Antonio Spurs yesterday. Um, so if they get him in the mix, a veteran big that can that can um, maybe start or come off the bench and give you a you know, he can still, he can still do it. So I think they did a really good job here in upgrading their team. And for the Rockets, as you said, um, many people are crushing them right now because they didn't get really any assets back that can help them right now. Um, but if you think about it, it's not as bad as you think um, because um both Olenek and Bradley, they're on expiring deals. Bradley has a team option for next year. But if Houston doesn't want to exercise that, they can just let him go. And they get more, they'll at least have some more cap flexibility, um, which will be um, badly needed. Um, they still have the, the John Wall contract, which isn't great. But um, you, you, have to, you have to have, you know, those bad contracts. Sometimes that's just how it works. So for Houston, I don't think it's as bad as, it, as people think because they do get the pick swap and uh, they do have some draft assets that they can use. Um, but I don't know. Um, they, they're, they're clearly in a rebuilding stage. Um, they didn't really get any young assets for now, but I think in the future, it'll start to look a little better for them. Um, but, right. Yeah. And before we move on, I just want to say that um, the Heat also got uh, Namanha Bihalinsa from the Kings in a trade. So that's true. He's going to fill that four spot. Um, so that gives them the uh, the ability to uh, move Tyler Hero to the bench, and they can run some different lineups there. Um, and I think it'll be inter- really interesting to see whether they keep Kendrick Nunn or Gorn Drogic in the starting lineup or whether they just start Jimmy Butler at point guard, because I think he can actually play some point guard. He's a very, very good playmaker playmaker. Um, he's really underrated in that aspect. So um, that'll be interesting to see. Cause that would be a really interesting lineup. Um, you would have Jimmy Butler at the one uh, Victor Oladipo at the two, and then at the three, um, Ooh, I guess that would be, I guess that would be Hero at the three. Um, and then four be Alinta and Bam Adebayo. That's a, that's a lineup with one really good spacing and also defensive versatility as well. So right. okay, uh, they're, well, they're a fun team. 
I want to transition to another Eastern Conference favorite. We'll stay in the East and we'll mm-hmm. talk about the Sixers okay. acquisition of George Hill. Um, so I'll lay up the deal and then I'll let you give your thoughts and my, and my thoughts as well. Um, so the 76ers get George Hill um, from the Thunder and also Ignas Brazdakis. I don't know how to say his name, but um, he played at Michigan in college. I remember I, I recognize his name. Um, the Thunder get Tony Bradley, Austin Rivers, and two future second-round picks. And then the Knicks got involved. They get um, Terrence Ferguson, um, Vincent Poirier, and a 2021 second-round pick. So it's a three-team deal. Um, so I'll let you give your, your thoughts on mainly the Sixers getting George Hill. And if you want, you can get into um, the Thunder's return in the Knicks. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on the Thunder and the Knicks uh, first real quick. Obviously, the Thunder, they're getting more picks. They now have um, a bajillion and two picks, whatever you want to call it. They have a million picks uh, for the next, uh, what's uh, somewhat years, like five or so years. Um, and then the Knicks, they get Terrence Ferguson, a young wing player. Um, that He's the headliner of that deal. Um, that's... I think that's a win for them. Um, and then the Sixers, obviously, the headliner of this deal, the, tr- the only contender in the deal. Um, they get George Hill, who I think has some left in the tank. He's not what he used to be, um, he, but um, I think he still provides value to this team because of the skills um, as a shooter and just as a solid defender, I don't think he's going to be in the ball handling role all that much. But um, what this what this deal um, gives them the opportunity to do is something that I've been asking the Sixers to do for a long time now is use Ben Simmons in the short role, a lot like what the Warriors do with Draymond Green, get um, Ben Simmons uh, setting a screen get him on the short roll and get him in that high post area to either uh, make a play as a passer. And obviously he's an incredible passer or uh, get to the basket and make a play in that way. Um, So if they use George Hill um, to run that type of offense, I think this could be a bigger move than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah. Um, I'll start with Philadelphia. I really like this move for Philly. He's not Kyle Lowry, but they do get the best point guard that was moved at the deadline um, in George Hill. Um, he, I think his combination of shooting ability, as you mentioned, um, he has the size to play either guard position, so some positional flexibility as well, and he has playoff experience, and he's on a reasonable contract. Um, only making about $9.6 million a season. So it's not a huge salary, a veteran player, playoff experience, shooting ability, defense, size to play either position you want him to play. I think it'll help him off the bench. Um, And I think uh, he's going to stabilize the second unit that doesn't have a ton of playmaking. Um, I think that's something that we've been saying Philly has needed for a while now. Um, I think they finally get that. Um, and I think he'll fit in defensively. Um, he's six four with a six foot nine wingspan. Um, he'll he'll fit in defensively um, because he can play either either guard spot and maybe 
He can even guard, you know, some small forwards. Who knows? Um, but I see him in a roll off the bench, stabilize that second unit offensively. And I think you could see, depending on what the Sixers need in closing situations um, or close games, whether they need shooting or defense, you could possibly see him in some of those closing lineups um, in place of either Seth Curry or Danny Green. Who knows? Um, it, it, it'll vary depending on the matchup and what the Sixers need. But either way, I think it's a good move. I'd give it like a B plus um, for the Sixers. Um, and then I'll touch on the Thunder real fast. I think, um, I think the Thunder did a really good job in this deal as well. Uh, they get two second round picks and they don't really take back any long-term salary. So they acquire more draft capital. They don't get any, you know, bad contracts in return. Um, I don't know how long um, Austin Rivers is going to last with them. It says here that, uh, um, let's see, where is it? It says, this is from ESPN. Rivers probably won't last long with the Thunder. Technically, he's got two seasons remaining on the contract um, because he signed as a free agent with the Knicks last fall. Um, but neither has guaranteed salary. So if Oklahoma City wanted to, they could buy him out now without any long-term consequences. So we'll see what happens with that. And then obviously, uh, Tony Bradley, good piece, I guess, to get him the full for now. Um, but he's also on an expiring deal, I believe. So, um, you know, he'll get a chance to play when um, and spell Al Horford some minutes. Um, but um, he's also a restricted free agent at season's end. Uh, I like what the Thunder did. Um, they're obviously in a rebuild as well. They're probably going to end up a lottery team this year um, due to Shea Gilgis Alexander's um, extended absence. Um, that was just recently reported. He's out with an injury, but they did what they could. And then for the Knicks, I don't, I don't really know. I do like the piece in Terrence Ferguson. Um, he's another young guy they could, they get a look at. Um, and they do get a second round pick, which I, I guess is somewhat valuable. But I think it, I think it's a relative win for all sides involved. Right, and I, I agree with that. Um, so with that. Um... We'll move on. Uh, I don't know which trade you wanted to move to next, but from the next one on my list is uh, the Nikola Vucevic uh, trade to the Bulls. Okay, why don't you start us off? All right. So Nikola Vucevic was traded to the Bulls along with Alfred Camino uh, for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two first-round picks and uh, – one in 2021, one in 2023, and both are top four protected. Um, so for the Bulls, um, I think this is the kind of move every fan hopes their team makes when they're in purgatory. You know, um, I think a lot of teams spend time um, romanticizing their picks and, and like just uh, drooling over what, we could what they can get with over the picks when in reality um, a mid-round pick is not going to be very good because um, where the bulls are sitting right now if they were to just not make this deal and continue on the path that they're on and be like the ninth seed that's what like the uh, 13th pick or something like that so that's not uh, that's not where you want to be um, is my point 
So get making this deal, you're improving. And you're also, this is an underrated part of the deal. You're also um, convincing Zach Levine to stay. Um, he's uh, 26 years old currently. And next year is the final year on his contract. So making this deal now um, will show him that you're going all in to win. And uh, I think that's what Zach Levine wants. And um, I think this will pay off. I think Nikola Vucevic, even though he's 30 years old, I think he still has four years of good basketball left. He's a skilled big. He doesn't rely on athleticism. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he can maintain this level of play. Yeah, I, I like the deal for the Bulls. I don't think it's a – I mean, Vucevic is a very good player. He's obviously an all-star. And I like what you said. I think um, – what they're telling Zach Levine is, okay, we're all in on you right now. We, we, we went out, we were aggressive. We got you another all-star caliber player to go along with you, with you, excuse me. And we're buying into you um, as our, our legitimate um, star. So I like the deal for the bulls. Um, it's been almost a year since they hired their, um, their new president, um, of basketball operations, um, who has yet to, you know, leave a significant mark on this roster, except for the fact that he did draft um, Patrick Williams with the number four overall pick in last year's draft. But I, I like it. Um, you're getting another all-star. Vucevic, um, Vucevic is, uh, he's solid. Um, I, I've watched some of his games. I don't, as I mentioned last podcast, I don't watch a whole lot of magic games, but um, when I've watched him, he's, I mean, he's, he can score at every level. So I think, I think it'll be good for the bulls. Um, if you look at, um, I don't have, you know, too many notes. If you look at the magic's return, I think they did pretty well. I mean, I think uh, Wendell Carter jr. Is a very good player. It's yet to be seen if they'll buy out or keep Otto Porter Jr. But I think for for the short term, they're going to keep him and see what happens. He's another good piece to throw in. And then first round picks this year and in two years, 2023. I like that return right there. Um, I don't I don't know if you could have done a whole lot better than that. Um, so they obviously acquired, you know, more pieces in the Aaron Gordon trade and the Evan Fournier trade. So they're just, they're starting over fresh and they're acquiring a lot of these young assets and um, I guess jump starting sort of that rebuild. But I, right. I like it for both sides again. Um, a lot of these deals I see as sort of uh, good for both sides or mutual or like a win-win sort of deals. So um, yeah. Right. And um, you hit it right on the head. Um, with the magic, they, uh, I think they were on the border of whether they wanted to trade Vucevic. Uh, a lot of reports came out, uh, over these past few weeks on them being like, no, we're not going to trade Vucevic unless we're absolutely blown away. And then that offer obviously came to be with Chicago and, and they pulled the trigger. So credit to them. I think this is something they needed to do for a while now. And, um, this is hopefully the start of, uh, something better for the magic in the future. So they're yeah, basically they, they're, rebuilding from a rebuild. They're, 
they're ripping off that band-aid that they needed to rip off a long while ago. Right. So good for them. They're taking steps and I guess the wrong direction, but the right direction at the same time. Okay. Right. So um, let's just stay with the magic and uh, talk about the Aaron Gordon deal um, to Denver, which I'm not going to take credit for it because I did get it off the internet, but that exact deal that we talked about last podcast with um, RJ Hampton, Gary, Gary Harris in the first round pick um, go to Denver um, in return for Aaron Gordon. So let's, let's get your thoughts real fast. Yeah, that's, um, that's honestly incredible how you got that exactly right. That's crazy. Um, but um, obviously we, we covered this trade in the last podcast and my thoughts remain the same. I think, um, I think this move is a win for both sides. This, this, um, this for the magic, obviously, um, this is a good return. This is um, a lot more than they got back for Evan Fournier. And we'll get back, we'll get back to that later. Um, that first round pick is the headliner in this deal. And then obviously RJ Hampton, who um, with Markel Fultz out. And um, I think, uh, they have Cole Anthony still healthy, I believe. I'm not exactly sure on that, but you could throw in throw him in with Cole Anthony for right now and see what he can do. Play him like 30 minutes a game, whatever you need to do, uh, and see what he can do. And then Gary Harris, um, I feel like he might just be a, a throw in. I think he's I think he might get bought out if he wants to go to a contender. Uh, but good deal for the Magic. And then for the Nuggets. Um, they improved, but I question whether this will push them over the top. Um, it, it makes them more of a threat. Don't get me wrong. I think, um, I think with the way the West is shaking up right now with all the injuries, I think they are in a position to move up a few spots in these next few weeks. Um, so hopefully they'll take advantage of that. Um, but uh, offensively, they're already really solid. Um, and then defensively, I think Aaron Gordon, uh, like I said in the last podcast, will step into that Jeremy Grant role. And I, I actually looked at his numbers uh, before uh, this episode, and it, they surprised me, actually. He's shooting career high from three-point range um, and career highs in efficiency as well. So um, I take back what I said last podcast when I said that he's not that efficient of a player. I think uh, for most of his career, he hasn't. But this year, he actually has been very uh, solid. So uh, good move for both sides. Yeah, I, I'm I'm high on this deal for the Nuggets. Um, yeah, I don't know if – it obviously – you can make it, I mean, it's arguable that this doesn't really put them over, that this doesn't thread the needle or put them over the top um, or put them, in, I guess, like in that category with the, with the Lakers and, the, and, and that sort of thing. But I, I like getting back Aaron Gordon. Um, look, they needed to feel the Jeremy Grant role, whether you think it or not. Um, but what ESPN says here um, is um, 
the narrative that the Nuggets were badly missing Jeremy Grant, who started in last year's playoff run, was misguided. Denver's plus 4.6 point differential is dramatically better than the team's plus 2.1 mark in 2019-2020, and also better than the 2018-2019 team, which had a plus 4 point differential when the Nuggets finished second in the West, but were knocked out in the second round of the playoffs. Um, the difference this year um, has entirely been a product of Denver struggling in unpredictable close games. They're six and seven in games decided by five or fewer points this year. Um, they went 12 and nine in 2019, 2020 in such games. And they were in an incredible 19 and five um, two years ago. So, you know, that's just what ESPN says. Um, I do think they downplayed a little bit. I do think they still need to fill that Jeremy Grant role. He was very important, played a very vital role in last year's team. And they're getting a, they're getting Aaron Gordon, who's an athletic defender, has switchability. Um, and I think, uh, I think it'll be good. Now, this also does give them some lineup versatility. Um, obviously, you have Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. We think that um, Michael Porter Jr. will be in there as well, but you know you can you can you can fill in that fifth spot with you know Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Michael Green, um, Aaron Gordon. Um, they have a lot of flexibility now, and I, I like this team. I think they're they're starting to hit their stride, and I think Gordon, as you mentioned, um, career high and three point shooting percentage at thirty seven point five percent. I think he'll fit nicely. Um, and then the Magic nailed it. Um, they get a – Gary Harris was to match contracts, and he can still – he still provides some value, but we'll see what they want to do with him. Um, R.J. Hampton is the real kicker here, a very young, talent point guard, talented point guard um, that they can keep in their system for a while and develop. And then the, the first-round pick is, isn't um, for another four years – but it's a valuable asset to have um, down the line. So, um, yeah, I think uh, both sides benefit um, in their own sort of ways. Um, for the Nuggets, I'd probably – I'd give it like a A minus. And for the, for the Magic, probably like a B plus, A minus. I think it's, I think it's good for both sides once again. All right, All right. another win-win. Um, so – to the next trade here, um, I think we'll we should do the un, the other magic trade. Uh, they were very busy this trade deadline. Um, this one is Evan Fournier to the Boston Celtics for Jeff Teague and two second round picks. Um, very interesting deal here. I um for a first glance, I was like shouldn't they have gotten a little more for Evan Fournier? But um, given the fact that he's on an inspiring deal and um, I, I think the magic just wanted picks to begin with. I think they probably were gunning for a guy like Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford, but the Celtics weren't budging. And I don't think, um, I don't think uh, any other teams were offering for Evan Fournier. So does, to stand right by him and not make him have to go through the whole rebuild thing. They just went ahead and let him go and play for a contender. 
um, and so they can just jumpstart the rebuild. Um, that was one thing that I wanted to add for the Rockets is the fact that they kept Eric Gordon when he's having a really good season and they, they didn't unload him. Obviously you can't unload all of your win now guys like John Wall. He is, he's on a too big of a contract, but uh, Eric Gordon was one of those guys where I thought he could have helped someone on the contending team and the, in the magic's position um, it's a similar thing to where you just go ahead and let him go. So you can completely start your rebuild. You don't want a lot of guys that um, aren't going to fit your timeline. Yeah, and then it's, uh, go ahead. It's an interesting deal. I think the magic um, after after you know, the Gordon deal and the uh, Vucevic deal, they were just looking to get whatever they could um, for Evan Fournier. And Boston was obviously looking for another another piece to add, uh, another score. Um, and Fournier, I was very surprised. He's only uh, he's only I think twenty eight or twenty nine years old. Um, so, and they have some cap flexibility, so I think they can. Um, they can sign him to an extension if they want this offseason. Um, but he's on, I believe, on an expiring deal. Um, and given that, you know, when, as you mentioned last podcast, when Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are on the court, um, they're, they're pretty bad offensively. Uh, but when they are on the court together, they've outscored opponents by 5.3 points per 100 possessions. Um, but take either of them off the court, and they've been outscored um, by a lot. Um, so they need another scoring punch. Um, I think Fournier can provide that. I don't have too many notes here. Um, the funny thing was, uh, I don't know if you saw the Twitter exchange, um, but Fournier, I don't know what exactly happened, but he like told the people – um, to go look up his last name um, if if they don't know who he is or aren't familiar with him. And uh, um, reporters were like, no, don't look up his last name because it's something that, you know, it stands for something that's not particularly appropriate to be mentioned <laughs> on this podcast. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, I think it helps the Celtics um, and – the Magic, you, you get two second-round picks, nothing too nothing too great. But, I mean, think about it. You turned Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Vucevic er, into what? Um, you got uh, R.J. Hampton, Gary Harris, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. You got two very good young players. You got some veterans. You got picks. Isn't that what you wanted? Um, so... Um, yeah, the Magic were – they were very active, <laughs> probably the most active of any team um, by far at the deadline. Um, so good for them for ripping off the Band-Aid and starting, starting a rebuild. And the Celtics are an interesting team. We'll have to, we'll have to talk about them more in a future podcast because right, right now there's two teams below 500. So – they're significantly underachieving right now with the roster that they have. Right. And, and they're reported right to be get to be able to get uh, Andre Drummond. Um, they just uh, finalized that buyout. The Cavs did. So um, they're one of the front runners to get him. So that'll be interesting to see also. Yep. Okay. 
Um, I want to get your opinion on this. Well, actually, before that, before we do the match trade, I want to I want to talk about the um, the Rajon Rondo trade. Um, okay. To who was it? He got uh, traded to the Clippers. Right for Lou um, Williams. So, yes, and two future second round picks. So why don't you talk about that for a minute? Um. Well. I think the Clippers are just taking a flyer on Rondo. Um, I, I think they'd be smart to just sit him until the playoffs and just play him in the playoffs. That's that's when he's at his best anyway, and you don't want to just risk him getting hurt or anything like that. Um, he's not going to do you any good playing him in the regular season. Um, but as for what this move does for them, it just it just gives them a playmaker. They just needed a guy that can run the offense. Um, we saw what last what happened last year when you asked Kawhi and PG to be able to just go out there and run the offense through them and it, it didn't really work those are wing guys they're not uh, playmakers necessarily I, obviously they're not awful playmakers they're they're pretty good with playmaking but they're not um, fit to run uh, the point guard role so Rajon Rondo can do that and uh, in the playoffs they're just hoping for that uh, Lakers version of Rajon Rondo last year, and he hasn't been that guy so far this year. But we've seen this before, over and over. Playoff Rondo is a real thing. So um, if we get to the playoffs and he starts playing good, I will not be surprised in the slightest. Um, and then the Hawks, you're getting two picks for Rondo. That's um, that's really more than you could have hoped, uh, given his age and given his uh, current play at the moment. Um, so, and then Louis, Lou Williams, I don't know if he's even going to play for them because uh, reports came out that he was actually considering retirement. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not super high on this deal for the Clippers. I think yeah. they could have done, they, they, they could have and should have done better than this, but Hey, right. they're betting big on the, the phenomenon of playoff Rondo. Um, who showed up and showed out in last year's playoffs and played a big role in that in that Lakers championship. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you know Kawhi Leonard and a bunch of other Clippers players have lamented at times at the Clippers' lack of playmaking, and they're right. I mean, they rank 24th in percentage of their field goals assisted um, on at 58%. So there's not a whole lot of you know, I guess playmaking, passing, I don't, I don't know, but maybe it's overrated because the Utah Jazz actually are behind them in that category. I don't, you know, but the question is whether um, Rondo is the right player to fill that playmaking void. And I'm not sure he is right now. um, It's this season is one of the worst um, performances of his career in terms of his per 36 minute numbers. Um, It's 9.5 points per 36 minutes is a career low, and it's 8.5 assists per 36 minutes um, is its fewest since 2007-2008, according to ESPN. Um, But, hey, if he's able to do what he did in last year's playoffs, uh, make enough threes, he's actually shooting 38% on limited attempts, but still 38%. If he's able to make enough outside shots and give effort and be a positive contributor on defense, 
this could be a win for the Clippers. But I don't think we're going to know until May and when the playoffs, early May and when the playoffs start. Um, right. As far as the uh, the Hawks, I like it. Um, I do believe uh, it was reported that um, he is going to play mm. um, for the Hawks for at least the remainder of this season. Um, I don't know what he'll do after that. Um, and I think that's good. I think he's he's an upgrade. He's definitely an upgrade in terms of scoring. Um, they do need some scoring um, off the bench. Um, and he gives them that. Um, and then the picks, yeah, they got they got two, what was it, two um, second-round picks and cash for – a veteran, 35-year-old, some would say um, washed-up player in Rajon Rondo. I, I think the Hawks did a good job. I'm not so high on it for the Clippers. I'd give it like a C-plus, but we'll just have to see uh, what Rondo turns into, if he can be the same player that uh, posted 13 points per game and 9.6 assists for 36 minutes while making 40% of his threes in last year's playoffs. Um, so we'll see. Right. And um, also another factor of this is what he brings off the court as well. He's a, he's a leader. Right. Um, Paul George and, and Kawhi are known to be uh, not very vocal. Um, so in the locker room, Rajon Rondo is going to come in and just uh, be someone who's a veteran and just uh, a vocal leader in a sense. So no that could help them as well. No question. Okay. So, um, I don't have much else to say on this, but I want to get your thoughts on the uh, Mavericks trade. Right. They made a deal. Um, they received JJ Reddick and uh, Nico Melli from the Pelicans, and they receive James Johnson, uh, Wes E. Windu, I believe is how you say his name, and a 2021 second round pick. The Pelicans do. So what do you think as a Mavs fan? I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I um, These are two players that um, aren't even rotational players anymore, uh, in my opinion. Um, Jane Johnson, um, say what you want about uh, some of the stuff he does as a playmaker. Like he was good at times this year, but he's not consistent enough to be a, a viable part of our rotation. And I think we get an upgrade there um, in Nico Melli, that he's an underrated part of this deal. I really like that we got Nico Melli out of it as well. Um, he's a really good shooter. Um, and then um, Wesa Wundu was another guy who um, he struggled shooting the three this year. Um, and he's a solid defender. And some people are um, still have a belief that he can be a solid player. So for the Pelicans, he's a guy who – maybe can turn into something for you because he plays, he already plays good defense and we saw what the shooting coaches in new Orleans were able to do with Lonzo ball. So if he can, if they can work their magic on Wesley one do then uh, great, you know, and if not, then it's a salary dump and you're going to be under the tax with this deal. That's an underrated part of the deal as well. Um, they, they're going to uh, dodge the luxury tax and skirt under it. So that's good for them. Um, and then getting back to the Mavericks, I haven't even t- talked about J.J. Redick yet. 
Um, even if he doesn't play, like I, I still think it's a win for the Mavericks just from the fact that he's such a good veteran leader when we've been missing that all year. It feels like we've, um, we've had a, we have a really young team and uh, I think Boban and JJ are, are only players over 30 now. So um, JJ is going to go in that locker room. And um, I think the possibility of him uh, helping other guys with their shooting and also just uh, with their uh, routines and just being disciplined with their work ethic. He's one of the most, he's one of the best guys in terms of, uh, work ethic in the entire league. Um, so I think this is a win. Uh, whether he's good on the court or not, I think it's still a win. Um, so I think I think it's a win too. Um, JJ Redick, um, since he, you know, was temporarily removed from the rotation in late January, I believe he had some injuries as well. Um, since it, since he's come back, he's shooting a 46% on his threes in February and March. So um, he started slow, but now he's hitting his stride. As long as he stays healthy, this gives the Mavericks uh, two really good shooters. And that's what you need in today's NBA. Um, and now, you know, they can they can mix and match, um, you know, Melly and Redick with Hardaway and Benny Smith, depending on the matchups. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's good. Um, shooting was a need for them. Um, so the Pistons, I don't, I don't make too much of it other than they, they got what they could for these two players. Um, James Johnson could be a nice piece. Um, I don't know much about Wesley Windu. And the second-round pick is nice, um, but, you know, uh, but, you know, the bigger name was Lonzo Ball, but they decided to keep him, um, which was interesting. Um, so uh, I, think, I believe Lonzo told them that he wanted to stay, which is interesting. But we can get into that another day. Um, but I think that I think that wraps up this segment, unless you have something else you want to say on the Norman Powell. Right. Um, and before we move on from the Mavericks deal, like, I just want to say, like, um, even if he sucks, even if J.J. Redick sucks on the court, I am so excited for the content that's going to come out on the JJ Reddick podcast, dude. Um, like he could get Luca on the show, KP on the show, Jalen Brunson on the show. So like, that was like one of the first things I thought about <laughs> when they made this deal. <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking. Like that was one of the first things I thought about. <laughs> so, cause I, I, I listen to that podcast a lot. So I know that's completely unrelated, but um, yeah, I, I will give just a short synopsis of that Gary Trent trade because I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's actually one of those trades that I don't think is a win-win. I think it's a win for the Raptors, but I don't know if I like it if I'm the Blazers because uh, Gary Trent is someone who is uh, 21, 22 years old, somewhere in that range. Um, he's young and he has upside. He's already such a good shooter. And I think, he will be as good, if not better, than Norman Powell is as early as next year. So the upside that you're getting from this, um, it's all about win now. So um, unless they truly believe that this move will move the needle and get them to the finals, then this is 
not a deal that I'm a fan of. So, and I don't think this does it. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Norman Powell. He's been playing amazing this year. Uh, career high efficiency, 19 points per game. Um, he's an underrated scorer, uh, honestly. Um, but I just don't know if it moves the needle enough. It's a lot of the same questions I had with um, the Nuggets. But I see this move as more of a, a lateral move in a vacuum uh, for an older player as well, both on expiring deals. And uh, they don't have the rights to him in free agency. So he can just walk if he wants to leave. And they had the, we had a trend in restricted free agency. So I don't, I don't like that move for the Blazers. Interesting. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts, but I think that's an interesting, interesting take. Um, but with that, that's going to wrap up our second segment of this extremely long podcast. Right. That's okay. Um, there's so much content right now. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to kick off our NFL draft content. Right. And if you're watching the video, like we said at the beginning, uh, leave a like and subscribe and um, hopefully uh, stay tuned for the other content we're bringing out. Cause we'll have the, uh, and, and the NFL draft stuff in this next segment. So um, if you're listening to the full episode, we'll see you on the other side and peace out. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, if you're watching uh, the full episode, you know that we're going to be covering our NFL draft stuff. And if you're watching our uh, video clip from segment to segment, uh, this is our NFL draft mo mock draft video. So uh, welcome. Um, if you're new here, subscribe. We do content uh, as much as we can, mostly once or twice a week. And uh uh, if you want to be part of this journey, uh, turn on that bell and be notified for all of our podcasts and videos. So um, I thank you in advance for that because I know you will, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm here with my co-host, Michael Ween, if you're new here, and um, we're going to get into our mock draft. Uh, so uh, before we do that, let's just cover these trades that happened yesterday so the 49ers move up from 12 up to three they trade with the miami dolphins um and then right after that miami trades back up into the sixth pick with the eagles um i don't have the details of the trade in front of me but um those were some really really crazy moves yeah, so welcome back. This is part three of this extremely long but fun and jam-packed episode, um, 62 of the Raw Prospect Podcast. And we are kicking off, we're about a month away, our NFL draft content for 2021. Um, this is a loaded quarterback class. It's loaded at so many positions. It's a loaded draft class. And so in the upcoming weeks, we're going to have more mock drafts maybe some like individual team mock drafts mixed in there. We'll see what happens. Um, we're going to be talking about prospect rankings, um, some of those mixed in, and then obviously mock drafts. We're going to have a, so much. So, um, but this is going to kick it off. We're going to do our top 10 individual mock drafts as if we were the GM of those teams. 
So as Emmy mentioned, the draft order has been shaken. And I mentioned this at the very beginning as well. Um, the 49ers are trading up into the three spot uh, with the Miami Dolphins. Um, so very interesting move there. Very aggressive too. Right. Uh, they're giving up like two future first round picks, a third round pick, and then their other first round pick for this year. So aggressive, but you know we'll see what we think they're going to do. Um, and then the Dolphins received the 12th pick, but then they used that to trade back up into the top seven um, at the sixth spot with the Eagles. Um, so interesting, 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 interesting. So let's get into our mock drafts. Um, we'll start in, I guess, well, we have to go in order. Um, the number one overall pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. So um, I'm the new GM of the Jaguars. I'm, I just got hired. Okay. So I'm taking Trevor Lawrence as my guy to be the face of the franchise uh, with the Fabio haircut and everything. We're going to, we're going to be set with, with Trevor Lawrence. We, um, we obviously have two first round picks. We have a, the, we obviously have another one at the 22nd pick. So um, this is the move that we've all anticipated for um, as long as Trevor Lawrence has been in college, he's been the uh, number one pick. He's been the number one guy. So this is a no brainer. Yeah, this is a no brainer. I'm the new GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars and with the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft. The Jacksonville Jaguars are picking Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson. Um, yeah, this won't change, I don't think, ever. Um, he's locked into this spot. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably get more into scouting reports later, but uh, – we're talking about a, a receiving corpse. They added a veteran receiver in Marvin Jones. Um, they're bringing um, Carlos Hyden, a solid veteran running back, to a group that already included um, DJ Chark, a really good young receiver, uh, LaVisca Chenault, a guy they drafted out of Colorado in last year's draft, and Colin Johnson, who I'm very familiar with from UT. So they got a lot of young talent in this receiving core, mixing with some veterans. Um, they also had that other young running back, um, the John, what's his name? Um, uh, Robinson. Robinson, yes. I was about to say Johnson for some reason. Mm. But, I think it's um, James yeah. Robinson or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So they're building a strong nucleus under new head coach Urban Meyer. And Trevor Lawrence is going to be a foundational, he's going to be their franchise quarterback for the next 15 years. He has all the tools. So. Right. So moving on um, with, to the second pick in the draft, the Jets. Um, so for the Jets, um, we covered their offseason acquisitions uh, in our last episode. Go back and watch that if you're a Jets fan. Um, we, um, if I'm the Jets, I'm, I'm, I just drafted a new head coach, a new regime, um, and I'm moving on from Sam Darnold. I'm going to take Zach Wilson with the second overall pick. Um, that's a controversial um, pick, but um, I think obviously um, some people would make the argument of the uh, competition, level of competition, but I would argue that what Zach Wilson was asked to do 
um, in, in BYU uh, uh, asked of him a higher level of quarterback play, and he was able to deliver on that uh, with his reads, his ability to uh, identify coverages, is top-notch uh, look-off safeties as well. Um, and his accuracy is there. Um, that's the one differentiator um, between him and Justin Fields in my eyes. Uh, Justin Fields, um, he has the arm talent and everything you want in a quarterback. I just, I feel like Zach Wilson is more NFL ready right now. And I think he's the prospect that um, I'm sure will succeed right away. Yeah, I wasn't going to waste any time either as the GM of, of the New York Jets. Um, I'm also drafting Zach Wilson. Oh, okay. Um, despite, you know, and it hasn't really been voiced on this podcast, but off camera, I've said that I like or I'm higher on Justin Fields than some people are. And I think he, he'll end up being a better NFL quarterback than, um, than Zach Wilson. But I'm not going to waste any time with this mock draft. Um, given that um, there was a report that came out today from a very reliable source, um, a draft uh, beat writer who works for the athletic, that was at Zach Wilson's pro day that says, uh, and he had multiple scouts tell him, um, Zach Wilson's a lock at number two, the draft starts at number three. Um, that's what multiple scouts have told multiple reporters um and reports that came out this afternoon after his pro day um so um yeah he's obviously despite some of my doubts about him he's a athletic slender bill he's got what i call an elastic arm he can throw from multiple different arm slots which is useful in today's nfl um he has an incredible ability to to make plays off platform and uh, throw, you know, on the run and stuff. Um, that's probably his biggest strength. Um, and he's obviously a very, very good pinpoint accurate deep ball thrower, which is also, um, you, need to, you need to be able to throw the ball deep and stretch the field in today's NFL. I do have my doubts about, you know, um, only one season of, you know, super elite production. He did play against some, subpar competition compared to some of his peers. Um, but, you know, um, and he did play um, behind one of the best offensive lines in the country, but that's not to say, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields didn't also play behind very good offensive lines. So we'll get into more of the argument between Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, probably a future episode, like coming up here really soon. But um, since we do have our deferring opinions, but um, just because I think he's the better or Justin Fields is the better prospect doesn't mean that Zach Wilson can't be drafted um, over Justin Fields. And I think he's the perfect quarterback for the New York Jets. So, right. I agree. Um, so moving on to number three, um, like you said, the draft starts here. That's uh, that's a pretty accurate statement. Um, so, uh, the 49ers. Wow. Um, uh, before they made that trade up, I was thinking they were going to go corner, but obviously 
you're moving out to number three to get your guy at quarterback. I'm taking Justin Fields. Um, clearly, I, I think that's their plan, but um, I'm not, I haven't looked at much tape on Trey Lance. So um, obviously the 49er scouts are going to go deep onto both of those guys. And I think um, whoever they pick, um, that's, that's their guy. So um, I think they're going quarterback no matter what, but I'm going to pick Justin Fields because based on what I know, he's the, uh, he's the best player, best quarterback available. So yeah, uh, that's I my agree. pick. I agree. I think they're going for Justin Fields. He's the more experienced um, quarterback at this stage in his career. And if they're going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo um, and there was a report that today that said they're not, but, I don't believe that for a second after the reports that came out about Jared Goff and stuff that they're not going to trade him. Like, I think it could all be a smoke screen. I think they have their questions about Jimmy Garoppolo, particularly in the health department, given that he's um, really struggled to stay healthy past like September um, in most years. Um, so um, yeah, they had their questions with Garoppolo, whether you like it or not. And they're going for a guy that, um, you can you can plug in and I think play right away. Um, I I don't think you could play Trey Lance right away. I think he's really talented, but I think he needs to sit a year behind Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you are gonna if you are gonna keep Jimmy Garoppolo and play that out, then you could go after Lance. But if you're just going for the guy right now, you got to take Fields. He's more experienced. Um, he's a, he's got a rocket arm. He's got that toughness that we saw displayed on multiple occasions. Obviously people question his, his, um, processing ability. And I can understand that he's a little slow to process his process defenses at times. Um, and you know, he sometimes takes too many, uh, unnecessary hits, uh, but he's an elite runner. Um, he's elusive. He's got a powerful arm. He's one of the best deep throwers um, in this draft, along with Zach Wilson. Um, and he's got he's got the skill set. You just got He's just got to work on you know. And I don't know if you. I think you can work on the processing ability and maybe some of the pocket presence things that come with being a quarterback in the NFL. But you get him, and you have um, he'll have a he'll have a one of the best weaponry to work with in the league. I mean, Debo Samuel, um, all of those guys. So, and I think he'll fit well on a Kyle Shanahan um, system. So that's the play if you're going for like immediate, um, immediate play in my opinion. And, but you never know. I mean, Trey Lance is, he's got all the tools. So if they wanted to go that route, I understand. I just think he needs to sit a year, but we'll get in, into more of that later. Right. Um, so moving on to this next pick, we have the Falcons at the fourth overall pick. Um, this is going to this is going to be a big surprise. I'm actually trading down with the Falcons. I'm going to trade down with the Denver Broncos uh, to go down to the ninth overall pick. And the Broncos will move up in the draft to four and draft Trey Lance and uh, put some fire in the belly of Drew Locke. And if that works out, great. But if Drew Locke keeps playing the way he's playing, you need 
the you need to uh, fix the quarterback position because I think that's the only hole on this Broncos team. They are stacked everywhere else. Um, offensively, they have so many weapons. Defensively, you have a defensive coach in Vic Fangio, and you have Vaughn Miller coming back, really good pass rushers. Uh, they have a solid cornerback group now with the addition of Kyle Fuller. Um, so that is the one hole on your team. And adding one more player to the quarterback room, this will hopefully um, improve both of them to where you can uh, improve next season and actually have some decent quarterback play because that's all you need to be competitive. I think it's totally possible Atlanta could trade down. And I think there are some quarterback needy teams like the Panthers, although I don't know how likely that would happen because how likely that would be to happen because they do, they are in the same division and you hate to reinforce your division rival with a, with a bunch of picks to trade up. But um, yeah, I think the Panthers, the Broncos, there's some other teams obviously in the quarterback market that could trade up here. Um, but I didn't incorporate any trades into my mock draft just for the sake of time and simplicity. Um, Matt Ryan has been sacked um, 40 plus times each of the past three seasons. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but that is a fact. Um, so I'm going offensive line. Um, the best offensive lineman in this class is Pinay Sewell, an offensive tackle out of Oregon. Um, you put him in the put him in the mix. Um, he's He's a well-built, um, wide frame um, with a dynamic – or yeah, um, he's powerful off the line of scrimmage, dynamic skill set, plays with incredible consistency and sound fundamentals. Um, he's got really strong hands. He's a mauler off the line of scrimmage and run blocking, and he he, he, he makes pass blocking look pretty effortless. Um, he's he, uh, and mirroring the pass rushers. He makes that part of the game. Uh, look pretty effortless. I, I, he does have some hand placement issues at time, and there are some minor things you can touch up, but he's one of the best offensive line prospects we've seen um, in a while. And I think um, of all the offensive line prospects, because there are some good ones, um, while he may not have the highest ceiling, um, I think he has the lowest floor. He's going to be a really solid player um, no matter where he goes um, at the very least. Um, right. I think he can turn. I think he can turn to a Pro Bowler. Give Matt Ryan some more protection. I did actually think about Kyle Pitts at this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Atlanta already has a ton of weapons with Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, um, and the other guy, um, Hayden Hurst. Lincoln. Yeah, those guys. But if you think about Arthur Smith, what he did at Tennessee, they like he likes to run a lot of two tight end sets, versatile tight end sets. I did think about another another pass catcher, but you got to protect Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan is still – he's 35 years old. They just restructured his contract. He still has a couple years left, I think, of really good football. Um, just protect him a little bit more um, because he's one of those quarterbacks that needs the protection because he's not very mobile. So uh, I went with Penny Sewell. Um, I thought about defense as well, but um, – you know, I, I didn't see anybody. I don't have anyone that you go this high. Right. This high. Um, I yeah. don't think there's a defensive guy you take that high. Exactly. Right. right. 
Um, and another thing I wanted to say about the Falcons is, um, as you said, um, they kicked the can down the road with uh, Matt Ryan's contract and you hit that right on the head. So they can't get out of that deal for these next couple of years. So going with a quarterback is off the table. Matt Ryan's their guy. Um, and then obviously um, if, if they don't trade down, Penny Sewell is the guy they're picking. That's, that's definitely um, their decision that they need to make just whether they want to trade down, get some defense or uh, get their guy to protect Matt Ryan. Right. So uh, moving on here to the fifth pick, um, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, that's where I have Penny Sewell going. So uh, for me at the, uh, as a, uh, where the draft board is at, this is a no brainer. You already have weapons for Joe Burrow. You just need to protect him and getting a franchise left tackle. Um, and then obviously you can work with um, getting another guy in the draft later in, in this draft. Um, but go ahead and get your guy at left tackle and then worry about all the other stuff later. You can move guys around um, on the offensive line. Um, so I think that's a no-brainer. You gotta protect. Yeah, Joe Bengals. You have to go offensive line, and since I already have Sewell off the board at four to the Falcons, I'm going with the next best option in the draft, and that's Rayshon Slater, um, an offensive lineman from Northwestern. Here's a guy who I'm talking like uh, Mel Kiper Jr. Here's a guy. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Here's a guy who's uh, he's rugged, he's physical, he's smooth, he's got positional flexibility. That's the thing they rave about with Slater. Um, he can play guard or tackle on both sides. Um, he's uh, actually the son of a of an NBA player, so he's got some of that like power forward build um, that I really like. As I mentioned, um, uh, he's got the quickest feet of any offensive lineman in this draft. He's got good balance. He's very good in pass protection. Um, people say that he's not necessarily the ideal size and his arm length isn't ideal, but I don't, I don't like to nitpick like that, especially when you're doing mock dress. For the Bengals, if Sewell's off the board, you have to go with the next best thing, and that is um, Slater, the offensive lineman from Northwestern. If you think about it, he played in the Big Ten, and he was tested by a lot of really good pass rushers, NFL exactly. caliber NFL caliber pass rushers like Chase Young and all those guys that have come out the past couple of years. So right. whether it's Sewell or Slater, um, you go with either one, whoever's available. Right. And I think if Sewell's off the board, I think Cincinnati can definitely think about trading down here right. because I think, um, I think Slater will drop given that these teams next have some team needs that they got to fill specifically, um, and like the wide receiver and cornerback spots. So, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so with that, we will move on here to the Miami Dolphins who traded with the 49ers and then the Eagles um, back up to six. Um, and I think it was to get this player specifically. Um, um, I thought about uh, getting Kyle Pitts, but I think – um, you already have Mike Isiki, and I think you want that number one guy on the outside, and Jamar Chase is the guy that will be able to do that. Um, 
with what the trades that they made, I think that just confirmed um, that they're sticking with Tua, obviously. And um, you want to get him weapons. I mean, you have Devontae Parker. You have that small slot guy. I forgot his name. But you don't have a true number one right now. And you have your tight end set already. You have a really good tight end. He was your best target last year. So throwing another guy in the tight end room won't fix that wide receiver problem. So you're going to go and get Jamar Chase here. And I think this will be um, the best in terms of immediate impact because you don't want Jamar, uh, you don't want Kyle Pitts and Mike Kosicki stepping on each other's toes. I actually disagree. I think Kyle Pitts is, he's a generational talent. He's a, um, he's a wide receiver, but in a tight end's body. Um, he can play multiple positions. You can split him out wide. You can you can put him inside um, as a tight end. Uh, I go Kyle Pitts. Um, he's tall, athletic build, long arms, incredible catch radius, excellent body control. He's a small route runner or smart route runner. I don't know why I said small. Um, strong. He's strong after the catch. He's got that positional versatility. He can play. And he's actually a speedy guy. Um, I think he ran like a 4-4 at his pro day, I believe. So he can he has the speed to 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 create separation on the outside. Um, I think he's just a generational talent. Um, now, if you're if you're draft if you if you're getting a tight end to you know block and pass protect, that's kind of his weakness. And I don't think he's going to be used in that way. He's just an all-around outside. Um, weapon for two attack of Viola and you can't go wrong with Jamar Chase but they did bring in Will Fuller and I understand the health concerns but they have Will Fuller they have uh, obviously Devontae Parker and they have the other guy I'm uh, I don't, I'm forgetting his name um, but yeah I don't know his name either <laughs> but he's, he's pretty good too I think with with any get a two tight end you know Kasiki and and Pitts I think, yeah, I think he's a wide receiver and tight end all in one. But, um, and I think they just traded for for a for a blocking tight end, so that that's not really a concern. If I if I'm, I think it's like Lee Smith or something. I believe they mm-hmm. traded for a blocking tight end um, from the Bills or something. So he's really not going to be asked to pass protect a lot. And if he is, that's something you can work on with him with more reps. He didn't really do it a lot at Florida, um, but you know, I you can't. I think this is a situation where if Miami takes Pitts, um, Detroit is taking Jamar Chase, and if if Miami takes Jamar Chase, Detroit, although they have a lot of questions on their defense, they lost um, Kenny Galladay, and you can't give Jared Goff just no weapons. So I think they'll take Jamar Chase at the next pick, but. Um, you go ahead and um, give your next. Right. Um, I actually have them going a different direction. Um, I have the Lions picking Patrick Sertan out of Alabama corner. Um, he's a guy who's literally a cornerstone. If you want to do a little play on words there. Um, uh, he's a knee biter. If, if you want to go there, I mean, He's a guy who you throw in on your defense opposite of Jeff Okuda, and immediately you have one of the best, um, one of one of the best potential duos, elite duos 
at corner in the entire league. And those are the type of pieces that um, you can really uh, build your entire team around. And obviously Detroit wants to build an identity. I think that's the biggest thing they want to do. I think they want to uh, build a team that's going to run the football um, and just pound you. And then defensively, you're going to play good defense. Um, and that's how you win with Jared Goff. Um, I think if uh, Rashawn Slater happened to be on the board, I would go with him. But um, this is a really deep wide receiver class. I've been looking at a lot of um, these draft boards and you see a lot of really good wide receivers going like second round, third round. You got like guys like Kadavius Tony, Rondale Moore, um, the other Moore. There's a lot of guys in this wide receiver class. So um, I think you get a guy on defense and you go from there. I went a different route. I'm going with Jamar Chase. I think he's the best receiver in this class. Um, but, you know, when you think about the Lions, um, they did sign two receivers. Tyrell Williams are not really high on. And Rashad Perryman, he, he's a good piece on a cheap deal. But I think they still need that true number one to go along with Jared Goff. Um, I do agree with you in that this is a team that's going to want to um, obviously pound the football. They brought in Jamal Williams as well to back up the running back they already have. Um, but they did lose. I mean, they lost a lot. They lost Jamal Agnew. They lost Marvin Jones. They lost Kenny Galladay and Jesse James. So they lost a lot offensively. And I think uh, Jamar Chase, I mean, we saw the display that he put on. Um, given it was a historically good offense, um, 20 touchdowns in 2019. He's a well-built pass catcher, long arm, strong at the catch point, excellent body control. He's slippery and can create um, yards after the catch. Um, they say that he's sort of an unrefined route runner in some ways, but you can work on that. And he lacks top end elite speed, but with his ability to go up and challenge for 50-50 balls, kind of in a way that, you know, Kenny Galladay um, did so well. I think uh, I think they're looking for – but, you know, I think they're looking for a weapon. But if you go defense, I won't – you know, they have so many needs. So right. you can go in a lot of different directions. Right. And I think they know they won't win right away. So, I right. mean, they're just going to go with best player available. And whoever that guy is for them, then um, – you just kind of have to trust it, you know, whatever position it may be. Um, and then, so we'll move on. Uh, so the next pick, I uh, I have the Carolina Panthers taking Kyle Pitts. That's a no-brainer. Um, like, that's no hesitation. Like, literally, as soon as the clock starts for the Panthers, just boom, Kyle Pitts. Um, he will immediately go in and be their red zone guy, be their uh, just uh, – like you said, franchise uh, talent in terms of a target for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, obviously, they still have questions at quarterback long term, but I didn't think um, I didn't think it was the right time for uh, taking a guy like Trey Lance. I didn't I didn't like uh, uh, where it was at in terms of the draft board at eight. I think you can get a guy later, uh, maybe trade back into the first round and get like Mac Jones or someone like that. Um, but with the way the draft board shook out for my draft, Kyle Pitts was the no-brainer pick for me. 
I went with uh, Trey Lance. I think uh, given that it seems like they're going to keep Teddy Bridgewater in the fold for next year, right? You sit Trey Lance behind him for a year or two because I think that's just what Trey Lance needs. And then down the road in one or two years, you have you have a guy who's um, doesn't have a lot of experience. Yes, at North Dakota State, only has played like one full season, I believe. Um, but in that season, he was really good. Um, he doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. He actually had to call his own pass protections while at North Dakota State. So he's a very smart kid. Um, he's very athletic. I think that will fit some of the things that Matt Rule wants to do. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, you, uh, you have a good trade piece in Trey Lance. Um, I think the Panthers, I don't, it's hard to know what David Tepper, the owner, wants to do. I don't, I don't know, but this is what I would do. Get, go ahead and get that long-term quarterback of the future in behind Teddy Bridgewater because I don't really know what next year's quarterback class looks like. I don't think it's nearly as strong as this one. Um, of course, you could look at a quarterback um in another round in a later round but i just i think trey lance is too talented to pass up on and i have carolina um slated as one of those teams looking to trade up into the top five to get a quarterback but david tepper it's hard it's hard to know what what he wants to do right um and i can definitely see the panthers as a team that that um is in the market for sam Darnold as well like you can just send like a second to the Jets and then maybe get Sam Donald in return, let him sit for a year, send him to Cabo or something, get the ghost stuff out of his head um, and maybe have him reset his brain a little bit so he can come back uh, a better in a new player um, for the next year. So that that's an option as well. Um, but uh, I didn't, I didn't think it was the right uh, pick to take Mac Jones, I think it would uh, be a little bit of a reach. So if um, if they did like Mac Jones, I think trading down would be an option. So um, that will do it for the Panthers. We'll move on to the ninth pick here, and for me, that is the Atlanta Falcons. Since we had that, tr- since I did that trade um, with the Denver Broncos, so. For the Falcons, um, I'm going to get Micah Parsons out of Penn State. Um, Thumping linebacker, a guy who's rangy, um, a really, really good run defender. You already have Deion Jones, who's that smaller guy who can, who's really good in coverage. Micah Parsons is going to be that guy who can come up in the run game and attack. um, uh, And I think the size in the middle that he can bring is something that this defense has been missing. And um, I think this was a uh, no-brainer pick with uh, Patrick Sertan off the board. I did the same thing except for the Broncos. Mm. Now, I know they have a lot of pieces on that defense. They went out and signed. Before, I would have said cornerback is a, is a position of, like, need, immediate need for the Broncos. Right. Um, but they went out inside a pro bowler that's been in a Vic Fangio defense before in Kyle Fuller. And they also brought back uh, Ronald Darby, 
and they have some good pieces and Justin Simmons in that secondary. So the secondary is fine. And of course you can maybe use uh, a pick on a death piece in that position group later on in the draft. But right now, um, I know they have two good pass rushers in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. I did think about going with an edge rusher here because I still think you need to have depth at that position. Whether you think it or not, I mean, Von Miller is getting older and he's injury prone, and so is Bradley Chubb. Um, it doesn't hurt to have depth at that position. But I went ahead and went with Micah Parsons, the best linebacker prospect in the draft. Because um, I really don't know who's manning the middle for the Broncos defense. They don't have a lot of holes, but who's in the middle? Who's in who's quarterbacking the defense? Um, and Micah Parsons can be that guy. He's long, athletic, versatile, off-ball linebacker, sideline to sideline speed, strong, reliable tackler, good blitzer, explosive. Um, really, um, he's he he's raw, um, but if you get him in here now, I think he can make an immediate impact. Um, he's sort of raw in coverage. He didn't do it a whole lot at Penn State, sort of like the man-to-man -man coverage stuff, but he has the skills to do it. Um, I don't know if I overheard, like he had may have some character issues. I don't know how all that stuff is working out, but um, I think he's just too talented to pass up here for the Broncos. If they do have one need on that defense, it's at the linebacker position, um, particularly in the middle of that defense. I do think they need a more athletic piece, um, a speed guy in the middle who can quarterback the defense, sort of like um, a Devin Bush or a Devin White, someone like that. And Micah Parsons fits that mold. Right. So, um, yeah, I went with Micah Parsons as well, just for a different team. Right. And I think depending on how the draft shakes out, um, I think the Broncos could be a team that, either trades up or trades down. They kind of, uh, they kind of read as a team that is kind of in the middle of trying to win now and rebuilding. So um, I think if you wanted to go defensive line, I think you could see, I could definitely see them trading down and getting a defensive tackle like Christian Barmore or trading down and getting a guy like Jeremiah Usu Karamoa out of Notre Dame. So there's a lot of options that they can go with um, in this draft. So they are a really, really interesting team. And uh, I'll keep an eye on them definitely when uh, the draft gets closer and closer because I can see them making moves. Okay, so we're only doing top 10 today. So our last pick is for your team, the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Um, so for the last pick of the night um, – I am between two corners, um, Caleb Farley and J.C. Horn, and it really comes down to injury history. Caleb Farley has a injury of, uh, no, has a history of back injuries, and that's extremely concerning given that our uh, former high draft picks uh, on defense specifically have injury history as well. So, we don't want another guy like that. We have expectations for next year, and we need a guy who can be on the field and make an immediate impact. So I'm going to go with J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Um, he's not as uh, long and 
uh, rangy as Caleb Farley. But I think given the injury situation with Farley, I think it's too risky to take him. Um, I think if you did really like uh, Farley, I think it wouldn't be a bad pick here if you if you um, got his medicals and you got the information um, and, and saw that it wasn't too dire. But um, obviously, I'm not in the position to know that. So um, I went with the safer pick and just got the guy who will – hopefully be on the field. Yeah, I read up on the cornerback class. I think it's a really good cornerback class. Right. Um, there's, you know, for me, I haven't had a cornerback off the board yet. There's three really good options here for the Cowboys. It's obviously a position of need. Um, but I went with Patrick Sertain um, from Alabama to go along with um, the guy they picked last year. Trayvon Diggs. Um, I think he's probably the best cornerback available, but you can make an argument for Farley, but he's had injury history, as you mentioned. And then J.C. Horn's an interesting guy um, who I think will go a little bit later in the first round. I think in terms of uh, Sertan, he's a he's a athletic playmaking corner. Um, obviously he's been in a system, smooth footwork, refined technique, um, good ball skills, competitive nature. I think that's all you want. Um, he's disciplined, he's stingy, sort of fits the Dan Quinn mold as does a guy like JC Horn. Um, I think, uh, I, I like Caleb Farley too. And there are some scouts that rank him as the best or, uh, some scouts that rank him as the best corner, but I think since Sertan is sitting here, uh, and I think he's overall the best, the best bet. I think you go with Sertan. But right, and I just have to say that if Sertan were to fall to us at ten, I would be over the moon with that pick. I, um, I'm honestly, if I were a betting man, that I, I would think he'd be off the board. But if it were to fall that way. I would be so happy because that would be um, really, really good for us. He's a really good corner prospect. Right. So um, that pretty much does it for this mega episode of the right. Raw Prospect Podcast. Um, we covered so much today, and there's still so much more. But um, to recap, we did our Sweet 16 <laughs> – um, bracket predictions like two hours ago and then we did um, all the NBA trades we did analysis and some grades for all the NBA trades and we did our first uh, mock draft which was fun um, and we'll have more to come but yeah that's all that's all we have for t for today right and uh, if you're new here subscribe and hit that notification bell we do this once or twice a week. Um, we're both college students. We got busy schedules, but we're still pumping out that content for y'all. This is what we enjoy to do. We, we, um, we're putting in the work for y'all and uh, hopefully y'all enjoy this mega episode. Um, uh, hopefully we'll be back soon, but uh, we got a lot of um, sports content coming up in terms of baseball and obviously draft um it's gonna be a fun couple months here so stay tuned for that guys and uh 
hit the like button and share this with your friends. And uh, other than that, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace out.